Hello, you're listening to Craig Walker's Future Of podcast, where we bring together conversations with thought leaders from across the world to unpack what's next in the design of products, services, and experiences. I'm Jeremy Walker, director and co-founder of Craig Walker, a design and research agency with a mission to design the greatest positive impact for the greatest number of people. For our first series, Shanaz Engineer, a senior design researcher at Craig Walker, explores the future of retail banking talking to leaders from around the world with a range of different perspectives. In this episode, she has a conversation with Harriet Wakelam, the Executive Design Director at DBS, the Development Bank of Singapore, known for the amazing design team that's been digitizing the bank and winning many awards along the way. Harriet is a leader in design thinking implementation at scale and has previously held leadership roles in design and CX at Insurance Australia Group, Medibank and Australia Post. She's also been a board member for the Service Design Network in Melbourne. We hear her talk about the technological disruptions impacting the sector at speed, unpacking what this means for how we learn, build relationships with, and design for customers across different markets, before ending with a provocation about the future and the so what for the future of products, services, and experiences. What I think I found really interesting about both insurance, finance, are that they're guardrails on which so many things are built. And my role here at DBS is really interesting. So working in a digital focus bank with a digital head who has a design background and a large um, and, and rapidly maturing um, design team is a really exciting opportunity. For me, it's, it's a fascinating point where change can be made um, and, and as a designer, a really exciting opportunity to, to rethink, reframe um, and also continue to build. Yeah, it sounds like a really exciting time to be there. Harriet, have you only recently moved to Singapore as part of your new role with DBS? I'm still in the kind of sweating constantly and looking like a tomato stage, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I think it's, an, it's, a, it's a fascinating city to live in and I've been here all of three months. So I'm still in the middle of employment passes and, and all of the things that you have to do, meeting the Ministry of Manpower and, and all of the things that you don't really know that you have to do until you arrive. Singapore is a fascinating place. There's also that government investment in design. They're looking at themselves as a convening space and a lot of the corporates here looking at design as a key element and, and Singapore itself is a design city. So I think um, those things coming together make for a really interesting set of opportunities. Harriet, what are some of the unique challenges and barriers you are navigating within financial services as opposed to say insurance or different industries you've worked in? I think there's, there's, there's trust overwhelms everything. I think we, we work in this scam culture. And although I was aware of it in Australia, it, it overwhelms many things here. You know, the, the, there, are, there are police notifications around scams and we're currently doing some research into scams and how they happen. Um, and I think part of that is also this really fragmented payment um, mm. culture. So there are, um, everything is scan and pay and there are multiple payment platforms, um, multiple wallets, mm. multiple companies working with wallets, and multiple digital banks. And then, 
inside the bank, I think regulation, I think most most people would say, given financial crises, given crypto and the situation in the crypto space, trust, scams, there is a place where if you look right back to the origination of banking and it being about a trusted place to exchange money, I think that is a very interesting opportunity for us right now. Um, and that doesn't exist in, in insurance for us. Um, mm -hmm. And I think for DBS, there's a lot of focus on on being trusted about you know your wealth versus your payment being separate spaces mm -hmm. where you you need to interact. So there are some really big juicy challenges that we're solving. As a designer, that's been fascinating me, and I, I I've yet to really explore it as much as I'd like. Has been this sort of secondary banking culture around deals. So. Everything has a deal or a discount or a percentage off. And whereas in Australia you have might have one or two credit cards, here you might have six, seven, eight, because each one might give you separate deals. And there are also deals. I, I'm setting my 12-year-old to research deals because I'm pretty sure that I overpay for everything <laughs> because there seem to be sort of... You know, if I talk to the team, they'd say, well, you know, if you want to buy chicken, you use this one. And if you want to buy mops, you use this one. And and learning that as an outsider, learning that banking mm -hmm. system and how that deal culture works yeah. is, is really interesting to me. Yeah, it's so interesting. I guess concerning Singapore's deal culture, is this nuance to place? And do you think it's an evolution of behaviour from offline channels? I'm I'm pretty sure because my team talked to me about how every good Singaporean parent knows exactly how to get a special deal and that oh, you, you sort of grow up learning this. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, I've, I've, I've travelled in other Asian countries and I know that bartering is interesting. And when I was working in um, insurance, we did some research where we were looking at digital payment being interesting because we assume that if you go digital, you get a special offer. But everybody knows that first price is never the best price. <laughs> and I think that this sort of bartering culture meets deals culture, meets rewards, offers, trust, makes for quite a, a chaotic and emerging space. It, it's almost like a sort of secondary model for mm -hmm. payment in some ways. There are some really big, juicy challenges that we're solving because we're now at that point where digital isn't new and the design of digital services is now something that is becoming almost by accident something that is an area that we have to focus on and i think design systems were the first part of that mm. um, but i think what we're seeing is as design systems started to help us think about modular design and modular components we're now having to think about service design in the same sort of way mm -hmm. so, so that is fascinating for us you know if we're going to onboard in six countries, what components of that are the same and what components are different? Yeah. And I guess what markets are you and your work with DBS focused on, Harriet? So DBS is in China, India, Indonesia, Taiwan and Singapore. Um, but our biggest customer base is Singapore, um, closely followed by Taiwan very shortly. Um, but they've been on a, a um, there's, there's been some expansion into India and Indonesia is a, is a rapidly changing market as well. So we're very much an Asian bank. That's really interesting. I mean, each of those markets is very different and has distinct nuances. For instance, even if we compare India and China, 
In a retail context, Indians still seem heavily reliant on offline channels, unlike China, whose magnitude of change is unmatched regarding their adoption of social and e-commerce. How does that play out when designing products and services across such distinct markets? I think those are some of the things that we are investigating. At the moment, we've got teams working on different elements of those, but rapidly what we're finding, I think where we're now looking is we've been looking at our design system. We've been looking at what components of that are core. We've been looking at how do we influence, how do we use the design headcount that we've got to harmonize as much as we can mm. and then to really devote that additional design headcount and, and creativity to the elements that are very different in different countries. In your opinion, Harriet, are banks and fintech companies beginning to blur? Are banks increasingly under pressure to compete with the speed and the user experience of fintechs while still ensuring they meet all the regulatory requirements and maintain their trustworthiness? Do you find it a constant battle? Yes. I think it was John Nader who said, um, st startups want to be end-ups and end-ups want to be startups. And I think we're, we're, not, we're not in that space, but I think there's, at the moment, there's a sort of, I think being a digital Singaporean bank feels like a very strong place from which to launch and engage mm -hmm. with fintechs and with innovation. And I think um, one of the things, so last year we launched Live Better, which is a um, sustainability app, and it went straight to Hong oh. Kong. Um, and now we're learning from the way it's being used in Hong Kong. It allows you to offset oh. carbon. Um, but now we're looking at how it's working in Hong Kong, and we're learning about how it's working in Singapore. And that gives us a big space to to really um, commit. But I genuinely believe the bank is committed to mm -hmm. sustainability. If we can't support our corporate and consumer customers to live a more sustainable life, mm -hmm. then kind of there's not going to be a lot left. So, so I think that regionality allows us to do that. Out of interest, how does the Live Better app work? Does it, for instance, track one's transaction spending? Yep, so it tracks your transaction. It actually was quite scary. So it tracks your transaction spend and then a year, so last month I did a lot mm -hmm. of flying. So the first I, first month I used it, I was in Singapore, I was getting public transport, I was shopping at the market, and it said the cost of my carbon offsets was $25. And so I was like, that's okay, I can, I can pay 25. Then I traveled a lot the month after, and it was $700. And I was like, oh. I got caught in this massive moral dilemma because I was like, well, I actually really want to offset that carbon but that's quite a lot of money. And I think this is the behavior that I find as a designer fascinating. Like, where does that offset go? Mm. How do I encourage myself, someone who's deeply passionate about sustainability and the world, pay for that $700? And how do we look at the reciprocity? And, and we've just um, engaged a couple of behavioral designers here in um, DBS and we're working quite closely with them in the design team because we're pretty sure that the answers to a lot of these will be behavioral but mm. also transparency mm. you know how can we be clear this is an emerging market and that's where trust comes in mm. as a bank I think we have a an opportunity in a trusted space to engage and and to offer new ways of of, of engaging with sustainable offsets yeah, the behavioural aspect is really fascinating. 
Did you notice there was a difference in the generational response to a product like Live Better? It's very early days. I mm. think there's a lot of things. I noticed in Singapore, there's, there's a lot of government commitment to sustainability. We've got 2030, which is the commitment to 30% of the food gr- being grown in Singapore. Um, there's a lot of initiatives like Bring Your Own Containers, mm. but they're not yet operating, I wouldn't say, as mm. services. So for me, if I look at the connections, how do you encourage that deal culture? How do you encourage that offset culture? And how do you encourage this investment that's going on in sustainable opportunities and bring them together into services that make sense? Mm. And, and this for me feels like a, a role where we have a, a big opportunity to play. Yeah. And would that involve bringing in different partnerships and capabilities to really create an all-encompassing model? And and to understanding as well, I I think why, I mean, it's a bit like the disposable coffee cups. Mm. I know we were sort of doing really well until the pandemic came and now I notice everything's gone back. (laughs) And so how do we change? I mean, I think it's a much bigger problem than just a design problem. Mm. But I think for us in that context, in the financial service market, what is the product or service or roles that we play? How do we use those things like Live Better? Mm. How do we use that commitment from our CEO? How do we use wallets, deals, partnerships to be a part of that culture? Harriet, you mentioned the popularity of these fintechs that really are providing some aspect of the traditional banking services to the younger generations. In your opinion, what did they get right versus wrong? I think they understood that they needed to meet this gener this generation or the next the, the the I hate to use the word digital native because it makes me sound like a grandma but they <laughs> they met this generation where they were so um, the sort of I, I know the metaverse is not exactly um, storming through at the moment but the idea that financial influencers existed in social media the idea that Mm. virtual influences were not something strange. And and there's some recent research around trust and robots. So um, our younger generation trust the advice given by by AI, by machine learning and by sort of robots more in many cases than they do from a human. And so I think a lot of those fintechs understood that early. I mean, there's always there's always the case, which is they're working in one slice of a sector mm. and therefore mm. they can focus absolutely. And I think that is big bank versus fintech. You have the freedom in a fintech to, to really just focus hard on one thing and you don't in a bank. Mm. But I, I do think they got right this idea that you have to meet customers where they were and they let customers play. Now, the outcomes for those customers hasn't always been great. Um, there's been everything from Wisecard to FTX to show that um, mm. there's real risk in there. I think the next conversation we'll probably need to start to have is about risk. Um, mm. Because wealth effectively, I mean, although for some people it isn't, and, and the idea of private banks is money beyond what I can imagine in many cases. I think they made investing accessible to people to whom it had not been previously accessible. Mm. And that encouraged people to see opportunities for themselves. I, and I think that the new technology made what had been a disability before, as in I don't have enough to invest so I can't, an ability 
in the the tech world. And I think mm. it was almost like a, an inclusion space, a convergent space. Mm. And therefore, they offered something that wasn't available in banks to mm. a group of customers who showed themselves to be hungry to explore, to play, to learn. The other thing is the information. The, mm. the amount, a lot of the investment platforms are vast producers of content. And I think, mm. you know, I look at, at myself and most people I know, we are now such huge content consumers. We put together information and we, we try to make sense of it. So I think a lot of what we're doing in DBS is, is helping to cut through that. I think there's exploring content, what kind of content is needed at what time, where do you deliver content to people, um, how do you get consent from people to share the right sort of content in a regulatory environment. That Those are things mm -hmm. that I think is probably bringing fintechs and banks a little closer. What are your thoughts on this blurring between banks and technology companies? How are they influencing each other or perhaps even working together? I think we're getting to a common language. I'm hearing mm -hmm. digital transformation less and I'm hearing digital services more. In the early days, banks were, were sort of hamstrung by legacy technology. I mean, we still are in lots of ways. But being able to use technology and think differently about technology as a channel has changed the company. It's almost like that is now part of our company culture. We couldn't do business without digital. Whereas in the early days, there were digital things and non-digital things. Mm. I think in the corporate space, there's there's still a lot of paper, like trade and, and some of those things, but even that's changing quite rapidly. Mm. This idea of being able to, as a service designer, to look at what are the core services inside the business? How do we design them to be as modular? How do we connect them? Mm. And how do we create them to be digitally first mm. is, is an, a huge design opportunity mm. and one that, that this team is yeah. really kind of excited by. Yeah. Given all this disruption and technological advancement, how has the relationship between customers and banks like DBS changed over the years? And how might they need to evolve over time? There's a lot of loyalty, particularly in the Singapore market, to DBS. I think we, we were um, the digital bank of Singapore. So there's a lot of, of and, and many, many customers have, have accounts. We have huge numbers of accounts. In other markets, it's slightly different because DBS is a, is a new bank to those. We, like most banks, I think, are listening a lot. We know that we need to listen more. So we're getting ready to scale that in, in huge numbers. We'll also need to look, I mean, data. It, it, we wouldn't be anything without data. But I'm fascinated also by the data because for designers, again, this is another opportunity I think we often overlook, that we assume the data that we get from our, our data analysts and data scientists is the right data and what I'm discovering we have an initiative here called design for data which is encouraging greater questioning and greater relationships between product people designers banking mm. people and data so it's really working on that premise that you have to have a culture where everybody is okay to ask a question about the data because I think we're reaching that point where understanding that there are patterns that we might have missed and that different mental models look at data in different ways helps us understand that as another design asset. So we listen, we're having interviews, we're using data differently, we've got a lot of programs to help access the data. And Harriet, what are some interesting ways you see companies creating more human experiences 
amid big digital transformations. In your mind, how do you improve the customer experience? Is it in end-to-end digital products or is there still a role for physical traditional branch models? I think in terms of design, that journey model is really important. I mean, the, 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 the classic um, piece of information about boundary objects. You know, I think we went through the first stage of journey mapping as, as an industry and we broke everything up into journeys. The interesting opportunities now are about how we connect those journeys together. So you might get a great onboarding experience, but it's not going to mean anything if 40 days later you need to pay a bill and you can't work out how to get your bill. So so those boundary objects that connect different stages of journeys are really, really important. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and that's where I think a lot of personalization comes in. How do we know what you're going to need next? How do we mm-hmm. get you to the right place instead of sort of scrolling endlessly through the app looking for the right part of where it is? I think mobile, mobile will be fundamental and, and, and whatever comes next. I think there's a lot of investigation into voice UI. We, we know that the interface only has a relatively limited time left as the sole means of communication. And so how do we start to design for that? Um, I think that's definitely going to change a lot of interactions. I mean, even if you look at your average 18-year-old speaks to their phone more than they use the screen. Mm. I, I do believe that there will always, well, that there will probably be a need for a human conversation somewhere in the connection. And that's, I think, mm. very important when we look at channels, like mm. at some point there is something about the human to human conversation and the richness of that. Again, for me, it's like, how do we connect that in to, how do we not have a digital conversation, a call center conversation, a branch conversation? Mm. How do we make sure that when you need those interactions, you know, do bankers go on scooters like grab drivers and go to you (laughs) (laughs) you know could you could you order a banker (laughs) like help I'm trying to do this thing about my tax and I don't know what to do I I play with it a lot I don't have an answer DBS still has a branch network and and it's still a busy branch network yeah are we using it as well as we could I'm not sure I love the playfulness you bring to complex problems Harriet if we look into the future say 10 years ahead could you paint us a picture of what you would like to see transparency i think that we're going to need to know where our money goes Mm -hmm. and where our stuff comes from and i think we're Mm -hmm. seeing that in supply chain Mm -hmm. i think sustainability will become a not a nice to have it will be a an embedded part of the way that we buy and sell I think we are probably one of the most financially literate generations, as in the people alive on earth, wherever they live, people are more aware of money and the transfer of money than they were. I see globalism, like 10 years ago, sending a transfer to another country would have taken several days and cost a fortune. And now Mm -hmm. you can do it overnight and it costs next to nothing. So I think the the movement of money, the transparency of money, I think the ability for you to make choices mm-hmm. about how and where you spend your money will, will be very important. And I think we will need to have a much more solid sense of trust 
in the institutions. And so that I, I still see a role for institutions and banks and what they know about regulation and safety. Financial inequality really worries me. And mm. I hope that we find fairer ways to distribute money. And I'm hoping that some of the banking services that we build, like Live Better, mm. allow us not just to donate, but also to potentially fund. I mean, a lot of the things that we've learned from crowdfunding models, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could actually do that to solve real problems in people's lives in real time in some sort of, of constructive way? Well, that brings us to the end of this conversation. It's been a fascinating insight into how a leading bank will continue to evolve amid rapid technological change, harnessing the power of collaboration, connection, and trust. And we hope we've left you with some interesting things to think about in the context of the product services or experiences you're designing. A big thank you to our guest, Harriet Wakelam, for joining Shanae's engineering conversation with production and editing by Tom Hogan. The Future Of series was brought to you by Craig Walker, a global design and research consultancy that works with the world's leading organizations. Find lots more to think about from our team at craigwalker.com.au slash journal. Follow Craig Walker on Twitter and Instagram at Craig Walker Studio. And if you have any thoughts about the show or would like to talk to us, reach out in an email to hello at craigwalker.com.au. Thanks for listening. <laughs>